This morning, this morning I want to talk to you about the significance of Shavuot. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the word Shavuot is the Hebrew word today. We know it as Pentecost. And it is a, it is a significant time. It is a significant appointed time that God created for us. And it is wonderful to see the pattern that Father has created for us in the Word. But before we start with, with the message this morning, let us just bow our hearts and pray. Our Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that we can come and honor you this morning. Firstly, with our presence. Because as the congregation of Yeshua, we are here and we are gathered this morning to come and honor and praise you. And Father, therefore, we know that your Holy Spirit is with us. We know that you are guiding us through your Holy Spirit. And what an amazing day it is that we are remembering this morning. The day, Father, when you gave your law to mankind. But it is also the day that your Spirit was, was poured out upon all your believers. And that is why we want to honor you this morning. We ask you that you will guide us. And Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my rock and my Savior. Thank you, Father, that we can know that you are here with us because your word says that where two or, gathered or, or two or more are gathered in your name, there you will be. And therefore, we can praise and honor you for that. In the mighty name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is, it is really interesting when we, when we start looking at the word and you start looking at the significance of the word. And the, more, and the more you spend time in the word, the more you meditate on the word, and the more you spend time with Father, the more the Holy Spirit reveals the revelation of Father's word to us. And, and sometimes, you know, people would say, you know, there's a new revelation. There are no new revelations. It is just revealed to you at that point in time. And therefore, it is, is really important for me and, and an honor for me to bring you this word this morning. And what we see where we, we find ourselves at the moment, we still find ourselves in the spring feasts of Father Yahweh. So we're talking about the spring feast, and when we sit here this morning, we will think, spring feast, what are you talking about? It is winter, but the spring feast in the northern hemisphere. So we must understand that Israel was in the northern hemisphere, or it still is in the northern hemisphere. It hasn't changed at all. But uh, that's why it, is, it, it talks about the spring feast, because it happens at the beginning of their summer, which is, which is our winter months. And what a wonderful pleasure to celebrate the appointed times of Father and Yeshua's fulfillment thereof. And I always talk about the appointed times, but because there's a real distinction in the word, you know, we always talk about the feasts of God. But there are actually only three feasts, and I'll talk a little bit about that just now. But when we look at all the appointed times that Father has given us, and you can read about all of them in Leviticus 23, but they are appointed times. Not all of the appointed times are feasts. There are only three feasts within those appointed times. But we are really honored to be able to be part of that and to, and to remember the pattern that Father has given to each one of us. And it is obviously very important to understand that we as believers, that we are still required by Father to celebrate the appointed times. He has given it to mankind, not just to Israel, 
And when you read Leviticus 23 verse 1 and 2, you will see that God says it is His feasts that He has given to us so that we can celebrate those feasts in His name. And when we celebrate those feasts, we celebrate what Yeshua came to do for us within those feasts. So He came to fulfill each one of those feasts. And that is what we are actually celebrating on this day. And we are remembering what God did and what God gave to us, but we are also remembering what Yeshua did for us on that specific day when He came to be on the earth for three and a half years. And then when we look at these appointed times, we see that Father has given it to us as a pattern for our salvation. It was a pattern for man's salvation, and it served as a pattern of Yeshua's fulfillment of the Word of God and of every prophecy that was written with regards to Him. And as with the appointed times, we find the instruction, as I mentioned earlier, we find the instructions for Shavuot or for Pentecost, whatever you want to call it, we find that in Leviticus 23. And when we go and we read that portion of Scripture, we see Leviticus 23, verse 15 and 16. There are more verses. I'm just highlighting these for this morning. It says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. Now, what is happening here is that we see there's a Sabbath, and then the day after, the morrow after the Sabbath. So when was the Sabbath? We celebrated the Sabbath yesterday. But today is an appointed time. It is a feast that we are celebrating. And Father tells us that this is a holy convocation, so it, re- it becomes a Sabbath as well. So today, which is the first day of the, of the week, is also celebrated as a Sabbath. He says, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the weave offering, that is what we call the first fruit offering, he says, seven Sabbath shall be complete. And there's a very important thing here, what he says to us. He says, after you bring that sheaf as an offering to God, um, which is one of the appointed times, so it is, we, we find Pesach, the, the days right after Pesach, we see the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and within the seven days of the Feast Unleavened Bread, on the first day of the week, it is the sheaf offering, or the wheat offering, or the first food offering. And then he says, from that day, you count seven Sabbaths. That means seven weeks. So it's seven times seven. That makes it 49 days. And he says, Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Now sometimes we read this and we're not 100% clear about what it actually says to us. So a couple of things that I want to discuss with you is where it says unto. That word unto. If you go and look at the Hebrew word for that word, unto, it is the word ad. And when you look at the definition of that word, and the definition, I took the definition from the Briggs Driver Brown uh, translation of the Hebrew. And if you look at that definition, it talks about, it says, as far as, or up to. So for instance, it is, you count as far as, or up to the 50th day. That is what he's talking about here. And it's suggesting an end, not a beginning. So he says, you count until you get to the 50th day. That is what he's talking about here. And that's what that word actually means in the definition of that word. Now, what's quite interesting, you will see after the word Sabbath, it says, shall you. Now, just as a matter of interest, the two words shall you does not appear in the Hebrew. It just talks about count. It just just says, um, unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, count or number 50 days. The, to make it read a little bit smoother and a little bit easier, the translators added the two words, shall you. So when we look at this, and, and if I want to say it in, in different words, or not in different words, if I just want to 
use the meaning of the words that have been used here in the translation. If I were to translate this, I would, it should actually read, seven, seven Sabbaths shall be complete up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, count 50 days. So it means there's an ending that takes place, so we count until we get to the 50th day, because there's a very important thing with regards to this. It forms the pattern that, that Yeshua came to fulfill in the New Testament, and we need to understand this, because if, if we don't follow this, if we don't understand these days, we miss the pattern that Yeshua created, or that, the pattern that God created that Yeshua came to fulfill. So I'm going to just mention that a little bit this morning as well. So the Hebrew is very clear. We don't have to worry about it. The Hebrew is very clear that 50 days should be counted from the first fruit offering and then Shavuot will be celebrated or then Pentecost will be celebrated. Now, as I mentioned before, in the Old Testament, if you look at the Old Testament, the feast is called the Feast of Weeks. It is sometimes also referred to as the Feast of Harvest. And the reason why it's referred to as a Feast of Harvest is that is when the harvest was gathered in. So it is also known as the Feast of Harvest uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, if you look at Acts 2 verse 1, for instance, you will see that this same feast is called Pentecost. Now, why is this important? Why is Shavuot important? Why is Pentecost important? Why is this pattern that God created for you and I so important? And the first reason is, is because it fits perfectly into the pattern that Yeshua came to fulfill during his time on earth. Because God created pattern through this. And he wanted you and I to experience the pattern, to see it, to understand what Yeshua came to do. And if you look, if you look at the, the Word of God, you will see that, that Father, everything that he gave us, everything that he said to us, every feast that he gave to you and I, Yeshua came to do something on each, of, each one of those appointed times, each one of those feasts. That is the pattern that God created for us to understand. And what do we see? Yeshua was crucified on Pesach. And Pesach is not a feast, it is an offering. So Yeshua was crucified on Pesach. He was resurrected on the first fruits. He ascended after 40 days. And then 10 days later, on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers. And that is the pattern that we need to understand. That is why it's so important that we understand the counting of the Omer and why we need to count 50 days from the first fruit offering until um, the, the Feast of Weeks. So that is really an important aspect of it. Because that is the pattern that Father created for you and I. We need to understand His pattern. So now the question is, what do we know about Shavuot? What do we know about Pentecost? And I think if I ask a lot of people and I ask you guys here, you would come up with quite a few answers to tell me what you actually know about Shavuot and what you actually know about Pentecost. Now there are four things that I want to share with you this morning. There are way more than four things, but there are four distinct things that I want to share with you this morning with regards to Shavuot and the significance, four significant things about Shavuot that we actually already know, but I think we just glance over it. We don't recognize it. And, and this morning we want to recognize these four things. So firstly, it is the day that Father presented himself to Israel. It is the day that he presented his Torah to Israel on Mount Sinai. So they exit Egypt, they come to the Mount Sinai, and their Father appears to them, and he offers his law, as we call it the law. It is actually his instructions, and he offers his instructions to them. 
But what is significant about that day is that on that day, Father made a marriage offer to his people. And how did he do that? He presented them with a marriage a contract, a marriage covenant. And that marriage covenant is called, in Hebrew, it's called a ketubah. And you and I know it today as the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments that he presented to Israel was actually a marriage covenant, a marriage contract that he offered to them. And that is important that you and I understand that. Because it, is, it means quite a lot to you and I when we see the pattern that God has created for us through this whole process. The significance of this is that Father gave His Holy Spirit to the believers on the same day that He gave His Torah or His law and His instruction where He made this marriage covenant to the people. It is exactly the same day when His Spirit was poured out on all believers. And when we look at these two events, when we look at this, Father appears to Israel, He presents Him with His Torah, He presents them with a marriage covenant, and then... A few hundred years later, when, we, when, we are in, when they find themselves in Israel at Mount Zion, so first it is Mount Sinai, now we, if they find themselves at Mount Zion, all the believers are together at the temple, and what happens here? He presents them with His Holy Spirit. He pours out His Holy Spirit upon them. And what we see here is, is relationship. And in each case, Father desired to have relationship with His people. And when He poured out His Spirit, and when He gave Israel His, his law, it was about relationship. He wanted to have a relationship with you and I. And in this one act, this one act that he does, he combines the Old and the New Testament covenants. They are joined together in this one act of Shavuot, or as we call it, Pentecost. You know, this, when I look at this pattern that is created for us in the Bible, it is actually quite uncanny. It is, it is actually supernatural when we look at this pattern that has been created for, for us. And when Father gave Israel his Torah, they had created a golden calf to worship. Remember when Moses went up the mountain? He came back, and what did he find? He found them with the golden calf. And instead of receiving his blessing and his spirit, they received his judgment. So when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and witnessed this, 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died. We see this in Exodus 32 verse 28. It says, and the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. And instead of relationship, they turned their backs on God, and they received judgment. If we fast forward to the, <clears throat> to the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, what do we see? The believers find themselves at Mount Zion, and they are waiting the promise of the power from on high that Yeshua gave to them and that He promised to them. He said that they need to, needed to be there. They are waiting this amazing blessing that they would be receiving. And Father gave them His blessing of the Holy Spirit, which was poured out upon them. But here's an interesting thing. What they did is they adhered to the commandment that God has given them and to the commandment that, that Yeshua gave them. And they were waiting in anticipation to receive Father's blessing upon them. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they received the power and the boldness and the confidence to witness that Yeshua is the Messiah. And all those people that gathered together in Jerusalem, that came to Jerusalem, that came to the temple to come and celebrate this feast of Shavuot, 
all of them heard that Yeshua is the Messiah. And 3,000 people were saved. Isn't that amazing? Same number of people. We see this in Acts 2, verse 40 to 41. It says, and with many other words did he, and that is Peter, testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untowards generation. Then they that godly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Can you see the same wording is even used, that is used in the Old Testament in Exodus? About 3,000 people were saved. The blessing of God, his grace poured out upon them. And in this case, it wasn't his judgment. In this case, it was his grace and his blessing that they received. And the same number of people were saved by, at a mountain while we're standing at the foot of a mountain. And this mountain is called Mount Zion. It is, it is just so wonderful when we, when we read this and when we see this. It is the same number of people that died at Sinai, the same number of people were saved. And God is trying to show us something. He's trying to show us His perfect love and His perfect grace for each one of us. The Spirit was given on the same day as the law was given. And it is important because the law can tell us the will of God, but only the Spirit can give us the power to follow it. It is only the Spirit that give us, can give us the power and the authority to live it, to live the Word of God. And the good news for each believer is that Yeshua took the punishment of sin upon Himself so that you and I can receive life. And at Mount Sinai, Father presented Israel with a second set of ta uh, tablets to show them His love and His grace. It wasn't just judgment, and as soon as the judgment was completed, he offered them grace. He offered them his love again. It is the same graceful and loving God that you and I serve today. And the importance is that we cannot live without Father's grace, which includes his law. We cannot have grace without his law. It is inseparable. Paul clarifies this in his letter to the congregation in Rome. And when he writes to the Romans, there are three verses that I'm going to read to you. The first is Romans 7 verse 14, then Romans 7 verse 22, and Romans 7 verse 25. And I want to read it as a unit, and the, re the reason I want to do that is because it talks about exactly the same thing. So let's start with verse 14, and we're going to go through till tw verse 25. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And what is he referring here? He's referring God's law to the Holy Spirit. And if you go read that in the Greek, it actually says that the law is given by the Spirit. Verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul is saying that he's delighting in the law of God. And then in verse 22, he's, uh, 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so, when with, so then with the mind... I myself serve the law of God, which is also known as the law of grace. I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And what do we see here? We see that Paul is talking about two different laws. 
He's talking about the law of grace, the law, the, law, or the law of God, the law of grace, the law that is given by the Spirit, and he's talking about the law of sin. And he, when he says we are no longer under the law, he says we're no longer under the law of sin because sin is death, but we're under the law of grace, which is life, and Yeshua is the Word of God because he is the Torah, the living Torah of Abba Father. And we need to understand it. We need to understand what Paul is actually saying to us. For so long, we have been told that we don't have to care about the Old Testament anymore and the law of God is no longer relevant in our lives. It is a lie. It is not true. You see, law and grace cannot be separated. And that's why these two events are so significant because you cannot separate the law from grace. So let's look at it in a different way. You and I are sinners. That is the law. But you and I need Yeshua as our Savior, and that is grace. That is the grace that Father came to give us. The law shows us that we are guilty, what we are guilty of, and, the grace, and grace delivers us from eternal death. And Paul says that. He says, I would not know what sin was if it wasn't for the law of God. So what am I saved from if I don't even know what it is? So the law tells us and teaches us what sin is, what Father doesn't want us to do. First, you and I need to know that we are guilty because that is law. And before we recognize, and we need to know that we are guilty before we can recognize our need to ask for forgiveness, which is Father's absolute grace that He, give, that he gives you and I, His forgiveness. And that's why this is so important. That's why this is so significant about giving the law and giving His Spirit on exactly the same day. The only difference is Israel did not receive his spirit at that point in time because they turned their backs on him. The second thing that we know about Shavuot is that it is one of three feasts that Father declared. And remember I said there are eight appointed times in the Bible. We always talk about seven. There are actually eight appointed times. You can go and count them nicely. You will see there are eight of them. Eight appointed times. And of the eight appointed times, there are three feasts. And these three Three feasts are the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Shavuot, and the Feast of, of, of Sukkot that comes towards uh, in the seventh month. We will celebrate that, I think, September or October time frame, if I remember correctly, this year. And it is also called, Sukkot is also called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, it is also sometimes called. And when you look at these three feasts, they were called pilgrimage feasts, because the people were to go up to the temple in Jerusalem on these feasts. Father required them to be in Jerusalem. Father required them to come to him on those days. Why was it important that they come to him? Because they needed to present themselves before God. That is the first thing. We see this in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16 to 17. Is the one, well, it says it more than once in the Bible. This is one of the instructions that I want to read to you because this is really a beautiful portion of, of the scripture for me. It says, three times in a year shall all your males appear before Yahweh your God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before, uh, before Yahweh empty, because they needed to come with an offer. And it says, every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of Yahweh your God, which he has given you. That's an interesting command. He says, what you bring to God is equal to the blessing that He has given you. When we spoke about 
the, the time frame between the appointed time of, of first fruit. And I did a message which talks about counting of the weeks because God gave an instruction of counting the weeks that is called counting the omo or counting the sheaves, the wheat sheaves or the barley sheaves. And why is that important? So that we can count the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. It is all about His blessing for you and I as His people. And the reason was for this is that these, the, within these three feasts, that they needed to come to the temple, and the significance of that is that it signified God's blessing and His provision to His people. That He took care of them. That He protected them. And they are the three harvest feasts. And the first one that we see is with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We see that is the, the barley feast. And that is the wild grain. It refers to the Gentiles. There's a significance there. I'm not going to talk about the significance of that, but there's a significance there why the barley points to the Gentiles. Then we see the Feast of Shavuot that we are celebrating today. That is the grain harvest. So we have the barley harvest, the wild, wild grain, and then we have the grain harvest, and the grain harvest refers to Israel. There's a harvest that needs to be taken in. And then at Sukkot, we see that that is the fruit harvest. And what does that mean? That signifies all believers that are gathered together in the presence of Father and in the presence of Yeshua. That is the fruit harvest. And that means that is Jew and Gentile together. Father reminded Israel of his, his perfect grace by saving them from Egypt, presenting them with his Torah and protecting them for 40 years in the wilderness. That is love and grace that Father has bestowed upon them. And when we look at it carefully, Israel was Father's first harvest when he brought them out of Egypt to inhabit the promised land. That was his first harvest. And we, when we examine the Feast of Pentecost in Acts 2, we, see, we uh, see that there were Jews gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world. They came from all the places. They gathered at Jerusalem. They came together to come and celebrate this feast. And they came to worship Father on this pilgrim's feast that they were supposed to come to. And we see in Acts 2, verse 7 to 11, it says, And they, the, the, all these people, it's referring to all these people that gathered there together at the temple to come and celebrate Shavuot. And it says, And they were all amazed and marveled. Remember what happened. The Holy Spirit was, was poured out upon the disciples, and suddenly Peter came out, and he delivered this amazing sermon where 3,000 people came to believe. So, and they, I'm just going to start that again. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Now, let me just <laughs> explain something here. Why were they so, they so confused? Why were they so surprised that these Galileans speak in different tongues? They can all understand them. Why were they so, they so amazed? Because the Galileans were actually looked down upon. They weren't the richest people around. They didn't live in the best houses. They didn't live in the correct suburb. It was like the poorer suburb of, of the area. And now they're amazed that these poor souls from Galilee, uh, Galilee speak in different languages. It was, it was unbelievable. It was actually a miracle, which it was. But to them it was also a miracle. Verse 8, it says, 
And how hear we every man in our own tongue? In other words, how are we hearing that what they are saying, we are hearing it in our own language? Now, let me ask you this. How many people was preaching? One. Peter did. And they heard the message of God in each one of their languages. That in itself is an absolute miracle. Let's go on. And then they talk about who they were. These different languages that they spoke. And there are quite a few. Um, I, I try to count it's about 15 or, or 14 or 15 different languages. And then they say, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. And when they talk about a proselyte, a proselyte was somebody that, that took on the, the uh, Judaism as a faith. They took on Judaism as a faith. They became to believe in Judaism. They were called proselytes. And verse 11 it says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. What a sermon that must have been. I hope someday when we when we in heaven, Peter does that again, <laughs> because I would love to hear what he said to them. In Afrikaans, <laughs> as Donna says. I'm sure he will. <laughs> or we'll all speak Hebrew. We don't know. We've got no idea. But wouldn't that be just so amazing? To hear what he actually said to them, that 3,000 people believed that Yeshua is the Messiah. And through this, remember what I said, Israel was Father's first harvest, and the next harvest begins. It gives me goosebumps to just think about it. And the next harvest begins. The harvest of the first believers, and in this instance, 3,000 men. And we knew that, or we know that the, the new believers were added to the congregation continuously, and that hasn't stopped. It is still continuing today because new believers are added to the congregation of Yeshua every single day as we speak. Still happening. And you know that the final harvest will be when all the Jews will be saved when they recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah. And this will happen during the great tribulation that is prophesied to you and I in the book of Revelation by John. But for now, it is the harvest of the Gentiles. We are in the process of the harvest of the Gentiles. Paul mentions this to us in Romans 11.25. And he says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part, listen carefully, he said, they weren't all blinded. He said, blindness in part has happened to Israel. Because there are many Israelites, there are many Jews that are coming to believe in Yeshua as the Messiah. But there's a whole vast group of them that do not believe that at this point in time. I just want to read that again. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until, listen to this, until, until when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. 
Because it is now the harvest of the Gentiles. The harvest of Israel is coming. But now it's the harvest of the Gentiles. And yes, we can include some of the Jews in there. We can, we can minister to them. We, we need to make them jealous of the love of Father and the love of Yeshua for each one of us. That's what we're supposed to do. But it is the time of the Gentiles. And when is this time fulfilled? When will this be? It will be when Yeshua comes to fetch his bride. Because then it will be the time of the Israelites. Then it will be the time of the Israelite harvest. Wow. This, this is just so significant. The, the significance of this is just sometimes beyond me. And every time that I read the word, I see something new in the word that I didn't see the previous time. And it's all there. All I need to do is just read it. It's there. But sometimes I miss it. There's a, an idiom that says, make hay while the sun shines. Gather in the harvest while the sun shines. And it is time that we fulfill the, command, uh, the commandment of Yeshua when he said that the harvest is ready, but there are few laborers. We are in that time now. We need to do this. We are given an instruction to make disciples of all nations. But where are the laborers? Where are the, the people gathering in the harvest? When are we going to stand up and put our hands up and say, Lord, here I am. What do you need me to do? Where can I go and harvest? Where can I be a witness? What are we doing about it? What are you and I doing about this? Are we witnesses like Peter and the disciples were? Leading people to Yeshua, telling them, witnessing about Yeshua, who He is and what He came to do for us, the love of God for you and I? You see, the 120 disciples in Jerusalem, they were the first fruits of the summer harvest, the first fruits of new life. That's what they were. They were the first laborers and they started with the first harvest of souls. But you and I need to continue with what they started. We need to continue with this work. While we are here, while we have time, time is running out for each one of us. You know, it's funny. We don't know when the end of, end of times or when the end of days will happen. But I can tell you for sure that we are much closer today than we were yesterday. And here's the other thing that is important to you and I. I am not certain when I'm going to leave this earth. I've got absolutely no idea. So what am I doing before that happens? We don't have a lot of time. We need to become laborers for Father, laborers for Yeshua, so we, that we can gather in the harvest of God. And that is part of the pattern that Father created and that Yeshua instructed. Gather in my harvest. And that points to the significance of Shavuot and why we are celebrating this feast. You see, this field that he's talking about, the field of the harvest, that is the world. The season is now. The harvest is salvation. The ingathering of new life, of souls into the kingdom of Abba Father. The third thing that we know about Shavuot is that it is the only appointed time where two leavened loaves of bread are presented to Father as an offer. You can go and read every single, about every single offer in the Bible, and every single offer will tell you that when you bring the bread, it needs to be unleavened. 
every single offer that is brought to Father. Except this one. This offer indicates that it needs to be the bread that needs to be brought to Father as an offering should be baked with leaven. And listen to what he says in Leviticus 23 verse 17. It says, you shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves. Now a wave loaf is a, is a loaf, they bring the bread or the two loaves to Father and it was moved. It was, it was moved in front of our Father. It says, you shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves of two tenth deals. So gives instruction of, of what, how much it needs to be. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto Yahweh. This is strange. Because every other meal offer that was brought before Father was supposed to be without leaven. Why is this with leaven? Why do we see this? Why is this baked with leaven? And if we think about the word and we, we read the Bible, we'll see that leaven also, well, most of the times, refers to sin. When we talk about leaven, we think of sin. When it says remove the leaven from your life, it is remove the sin from your life. So why would two loaves be baked with leaven and presented to Father Yahweh as a first fruit offering? It's very strange. Do you know that every time that leaven is mentioned in the Bible, it represents sinfulness, except for one single time. There's only one time in the Bible that leaven does not refer to sin. And we see this in Matthew. Matthew 13 verse 33. And listen to what it says. It says, another parable spoke he, that is Yeshua, unto them. Listen to what he says now. He says, the kingdom of heaven, our godly authority... Our authority to rule. He says the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. Till the whole was leavened. He says so she was. She placed it within the, within the, the, the dough. And it spread throughout the dough. And the whole bunch. The whole batch that she, that she prepared. Was filled with this leaven. He says that is what the kingdom of God is like. And in this case, the leaven is actually compared to the power and the authority of God, which we receive through the Holy Spirit, which is spread throughout the whole congregation. Because the dough refers to the congregation of believers and therefore refers to the Holy Spirit spreading the power and the authority throughout the entire church. Why? So that you and I can become laborers together in the harvest. That is why it is important. But why two loaves? Why are there two loaves given to Father as a first fruit offering? There are a couple of reasons for that. The one reason is that it represents Israel. The one, the one loaf represents Israel. The other loaf represents the, the, the Gentile believers, you and I. So they, these two loaves that are the first fruit offering to Father is Israel and the Gentiles. And then we see Yeshua, who is the Lamb of God, who took all of our sins upon Himself. He is the one who sanctified the church. And he sanctified both the Jews and the Gentiles to be presented before Yahweh as a holy offer. And that is what these two loaves refer to. It refers to two brides. Why two brides? The one is betrothed at Sinai, Mount Sinai. That is Israel. The other one, the bride of Christ. And that is what Paul says in Galatians 3, 
verse 28 to 29. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. And that Greek, we can also, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the, the promise. And isn't it amazing how he combines the two, Jew and Gentile, under a message about the Jew and Gentile worshiping together, and that is exactly what it says here. Because when we are in front of Father, when we are spending an eternity with Father, there will be no more distinction. We will all be His children. And as believers in Yeshua, we have been made one in Christ, and He is the one presenting us to our Father as these two loaves that He brings to God. And what a glorious thought! presented by the significance of Shavuot to you and I, the pattern that is created by Father. The two loaves of the wave offering also symbolizes the body of Messiah made up of both Jews and Gentile believers. And that speaks of the fact that the church, though we are cleansed by the blood of Yeshua's sacrifice, we still have the sinful nature. We still have a, or represent the sinful nature. And that will happen until the day that we will be presented as the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle, purified completely by the blood of Yeshua. The fourth thing we know about Shavuot is that it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Very important aspect. And as I've mentioned before, the manifestation that took place when Father Yahweh presented himself to Israel at Mount Sinai is exactly the same manifestation that took place when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers and on the disciples at Mount Zion. Both these mountains are referred to as the mountain of God. And when we go read in Acts 2 verse 1 to 4, we see, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we see also when we go and read in Exodus 19 verse 16, we see, the same description, the same, the same manifestation, a similar manifestation. And Exodus 19 verse 16, 16 says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that, they, that there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people uh, that was in the camp trembled. Same manifestation. If you go and you, and you go and look at the, the definition of these words, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew that is given to us here in Exodus 19 verse 16, it is the same manifestation that took place. How wonderful is that? And what happened here when we read the, the book of Acts, what happened in the book of Acts is the birthing of the congregation or the church of Yeshua. That was the start of the congregation of Yeshua. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was to empower the body of Christ to spread the gospel throughout the world. That we need to go and spread His gospel, tell people about who He is. It is the execution of Yeshua's great commission that He has given to each one of us. Given to the church as His last commandment before He ascended into heaven. He said, this is what I want you to go and do. 
Go spread the good news. Spread the gospel so that people can learn of my love that I have for them. See, believers are meant to live in the presence and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to confess Yeshua as Lord. It empowers us to serve God with supernatural power. It binds us together as the body of Christ. It helps us to pray. It is there to assist us in prayer. But you know what? The Holy Spirit also intercedes for us with God the Father. He guides us in everything that we do. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us and encourages us to be conformed to the image of Christ. You and I cannot do it out of our own free will. It has to be through the power and the authority and the guidance of the Holy Spirit that we can become like the character of Yeshua. And it is important that we, that we recognize and celebrate this very precious feast that Father has given us. Because it reminds us of both things that happened. Giving us His law, but also giving us His Holy Spirit. Giving us the power to be witnesses for Him. See, it forms part of the pattern of His salvation for man. It reminds us of the glorious love and the grace of Father Yahweh. It reminds us of the Holy Spirit that fills us with the power and the authority of Yeshua to execute the great commission that Yeshua bestowed upon each one of us. It reminds us of the wonderful harvest that the Holy Spirit has prepared and encourages us to be worthy laborers in the kingdom of God. It reminds us of the hope we have through the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out on that very special day, the disciples had hope. They had hope in Him. They had hope in His power. They had hope in His authority. Because things were happening. Thousands were converted. The truth was proclaimed in every single language that was available at that point in time. See, the church mushroomed in size. And there was hope. And there is still hope for you and I. Because the amazing thing about this is that we have the same Holy Spirit and He's no less powerful than He was the day when He was poured out on the disciples at Pentecost. Same power, same Holy Spirit, same God. Different people. But the same commandment. The same purpose. is to go and make disciples of all the nations. And that is the significance of Shavuot to each one of us, to you and I. That is the significance that He has given us, that the Lord has given to you and I. And in celebrating this wonderful feast and pattern, we become to, or we, we, we come to understand and to recognize what He has actually done for each one of us. And how do we celebrate that? Well, one of the things that we are going to do this morning is we are going to take part in the covenant meal, the love feast of Yeshua. In English, it is known as communion. But when we go and we look at the definition thereof in the Bible, it is actually talking about the love feast of God, the love feast of Yeshua that He, that he has given to us. Because it signifies the covenant that you and I have with Father through the blood of Yeshua. And this morning we want to take part in that. 
We will remember His fulfillment of the pattern that Father has created for us through His perfect love and His perfect grace when we take part in the love feast. And what I want to do this morning is I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to first, I'm going to attempt to pray it in Hebrew. <laughs> and I see a lot of eye, eyebrows raised. Ooh. <laughs> okay, this has happened before. <laughs> I know it hasn't happened before. But we can do it. And I'm going to attempt to pray it in Hebrew first. And straight after that, I will pray that same prayer. I will pray it in English so that we can understand what the Hebrew actually said. But what I want you to do is never to forget the significance of this feast. The significance of why God has instituted this into our, for, into our lives. Why did He give this to us? So that we can recognize His pattern. So we can recognize the fulfillment of God's pattern through Yeshua. That is what I want you to remember. So let us bow our hearts in prayer this morning. Baruch Atta Adunai Eluhenu Melech Haulam Asher Kitchanu Bechmitz Vutaf Liot Orlegoyim Venatan Lanu Yeshua Meshikainu Aor la ulam. Blessed are you, O Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by your commandment and commanded us to be a light to the nations and has given us Yeshua, our Messiah, the light of the world. Amen.